Section 47 of Micrographia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Micrographia by Robert Hooke. Observation 42 of a blue fly. This kind of fly, whereof a microscopial picture is delineated in the first figure of the twenty-sixth scheme, is a very beautiful creature, and has many things about it very notable, divers of which I have already partly described, namely, the feet, wings, eyes, and head, in the preceding observations. And though the head before described be that of a grey drone-fly, yet for the main it is very agreeable to this. The things wherein they differ most will be easily enough found by the following particulars. First, the clusters of eyes of this fly are very much smaller than those of the drone fly in proportion to the head. And next, all the eyes of each cluster seem much of the same bigness one with another, not differing as the other, but ranged in the same triagonal order. Thirdly, between these two clusters there was a scaly prominent front B which was armed and adorned with large tapering sharp black bristles, which growing out in rows on either side were so bent toward each other near the top, as to make a kind of arched arbor of bristles, which almost covered the former front. Fourthly, at the end of this arch about the middle of the face, on a prominent part C, grew two small oblong bodies DD, which through a microscope looked not unlike the pendants in lilies. These seemed to be jointed onto two small parts at C, each of which seemed again jointed into the front. Fifthly, out of the upper part and outside of these horns, as I may call them from the figure they are of in the twenty-fourth scheme, where they are marked with FF, there grows a single feather, or brushy bristle, EE, -E, somewhat of the same kind with the tufts of a gnat, which I have before described. What the use of these kind of horned and tufted bodies should be I cannot well imagine unless they serve for smelling or hearing, though how they are adapted for either it seems very difficult to describe. They are in almost every several kind of flies of so various a shape, though certainly they are some very essential part of the head, and have some very notable office assigned them by nature, since in all insects they are to be found in one or another form. Sixthly, at the under part of the face FF were several of the former sort of bended bristles, and below all the mouth, out of the middle of which grew the proboscis GHI, which, by means of several joints whereof it seemed to consist, the fly was able to move to and fro, and thrust it in and out as it pleased. The end of this hollow body, which was all over covered with small short hairs or bristles, was, as twere, bended H and the outer or foremost side of the bended part, H-I, slit, as it were, into two chaps, H-I, H-I, all the outside of which were covered with hairs and pretty large bristles, these he could, like two chaps, very readily open and shut, and when he seemed to suck anything from the surface of a body, he would spread abroad these chaps and apply the hollow part of them very close to it. From either side of the proboscis within the mouth grew two other small horns or fingers, KK, which were hairy, but small in this figure, but of another shape and bigger in proportion in the twenty-fourth scheme, where they are marked with GG, which too indeed seemed a kind of smellers, but whether so or not I cannot positively determine. 
The thorax or middle part of this fly was cased, both above and beneath, with a very firm crust of armor. The upper part more round and covered over with long conical bristles, all whose ends pointed backwards. Out of the hinder and under part of this grew out in a cluster six legs, three of which are apparent in the figure. The other three were hid by the body placed in that posture. The legs were all much of the same make, being all of them covered with a strong hairy scale or shell, just like the legs of a crab or lobster, and the contrivance of the joints seemed much the same. Each leg seemed made up of eight parts, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, to the eighth or last of which grew the soles and claws described before in the thirty-eighth observation. Out of the upper part of this trunk grew the two wings, which I mentioned in the thirty-eighth observation, consisting of a film extended on certain small stiff wires or bones. These in a blue fly were much longer than the body, but in other kind of flies they are of very differing proportions to the body. These films in many flies were so thin that, like several other plated bodies mentioned in the ninth observation, they afforded all varieties of fantastical or transient colors, the reason of which I have here endeavored to explain. They seemed to receive their nourishment from the stalks or wires which seemed to be hollow and near the upper part of the wing LL, several of them seemed jointed, the shape of which will sufficiently appear by the black lines in the second figure of the twenty-sixth scheme, which is a delineation of one of those wings expanded directly to the eyes. All the hinder part of its body is covered with a most curious blue shining armor looking exactly like a polished piece of steel brought to that blue color by annealing, all which armor is very thick, bestuck with abundance of tapering bristles such as grow on its back, as is visible enough by the figure. Nor was the inside of this creature less beautiful than its outside, for cutting off a part of the belly and then viewing it to see if I could discover any vessels, such as are to be found in a greater animals and even in snails exceedingly manifestly. I found, much beyond my expectation, that there were abundance of branchings of milk-white vessels, no less curious than the branchings of veins and arteries in bigger terrestrial animals, in one of which I found two notable branches, joining their two main stalks, as it were, into one common ductus. Now to what veins or arteries these vessels were analogous, whether to the vena porta or the mesaraic vessels, or the like? or indeed whether they were veins and arteries, or vasa lactea, properly so called, I am not hitherto able to determine, having not yet made sufficient inquiry. But in all particulars there seems not to be anything less of curious contrivance in these insects than in those larger terrestrial animals, for I had never seen any more curious branchings of vessels than those I observed in two or three of these flies thus opened. It is a creature active and nimble, so as there are few creatures like it, whether bigger or smaller, insomuch that it will scape and avoid a small body, though coming on it exceedingly swiftly, and if it sees anything approaching it which it fears, it presently squats down, as it were, that it may be the more ready for its rise. Nor is it less hardy in the winter than active in the summer, enduring all the frosts and surviving till the next summer, notwithstanding the bitter cold of our climate. Nay, this creature will endure to be frozen, and yet not be destroyed, for I have taken one of them out of the snow whereon it had been frozen almost white, with the ice about it, and yet by thawing it gently by the warmth of a fire, it has quickly revived and flown about. 
This kind of fly seems by the steams or taste of fermenting and putrefying meat, which it often kisses as twere, with its proboscis as it trips over it, to be stimulated or excited to eject its eggs or seed on it, perhaps from the same reason as dogs, cats, and many other brute creatures are excited to their particular lusts by the smell of their females. When by nature prepared for generation, the males seeming by those kind of smells, or other incitations, to be as much necessitated thereto as aqua regis strongly impregnated with a solution of gold, is forced to precipitate it by the effusion of spirit of urine, or a solution of salt of tartar. One of these put in spirit of wine was very quickly seemingly killed, and both its eyes and mouth began to look very red. But upon the taking of it out, and suffering it to lie three or four hours, and heating it with the sunbeams cast through a burning glass, it again revived, seeming as it were to have been all the intermediate time but dead drunk, and after certain hours to grow fresh again and sober. End of section 47 Recording by Philip Gould